1: Coming to you live from the always beautiful Atlanta, Georgia. We've got a great show for you guys planned ahead today. Uh, But before we get into our interview with Bleacher Reports only, Adam Lefko, man, we got to get to the business, man. However and wherever you found this podcast, be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review. Again, the important part right there is the rating and the reviewing. That's how your boy gets paid. We appreciate you guys for listening into the podcast. You know, Adam stopped by for just about 40, 45 minutes, but he ended up staying for over an hour. So without further ado, we'll jump right into that interview with Adam Lefko from Bleacher Report. Again, Adam, thanks for joining us here on the NFL Mocks podcast brought to you by Fansided. All righty, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a really special guest for you today on the NFL Mox Podcast. We're joined by the 2013 AP Sportscaster of the Year, two-time Emmy Award winner, that one had me shook when I did some research, and host of Bleacher Reports, the Lefco Show, the L-E-F-K-O-E man himself, man. Adam Lefko, Thanks so much for joining us on the NFL Mox Podcast, my brother.
2: Emmy shook you, huh? They caught you
1: right in the core. Dude, I mean like I I know your backstory, right? We've had conversations off mic and all that. I know your backstory, but when I saw the two Emmys, bro, I was like, I gotta first off, I gotta know where are those puppies sitting in the house and are they the first thing that people see when they walk in? Because I'm, you know, not trying to I don't try to be too self indulged, but if I had two Emmys at your age, those suckers would be front and front stage in my house. Where are those things located?
2: So in my living room of my apartment, I live in Manhattan, I live in Chelsea, and I, I have like a book stand, and I have like a lot of books, and then on the top, I have uh, my one Emmy that I got for, because I used to be a news reporter, yeah. so that one is for this, like covering the tornadoes that hit this town in Indiana, and mm-hmm. then my other, my other one is at my parents' house, uh, when, that, the first one I won, I gave to them. Yeah, and it, it was funny because I actually I don't think I've ever said this before I like brought it home and it's funny because Emmy's coming in this big box so I put the box at the bottom of my luggage and as I was flying home the security guy looks at me and he, he, he pulls me in and he goes bro is there a, an Oscar in your bag? <laughs> and I go what are you talking about? and he's like I'm going to open your bag is that okay? he goes I go sure and I open up and I go no man that's an Emmy he's like oh wow like wow can I lift it? I'm like, yeah, man, sure. And, uh, my parents, they were dropping me off at the airport on my way back. And I just said, mom and dad. And I went to the whole speech about how like they helped me like get my start and with Nebraska and all that stuff and supporting me. And I said, I want you guys to have this. And, uh, th- that was awesome because I think, man, we, we, we do this because we want to have success and mm-hmm. we want to be great. and We want to do all this stuff, but Ain't nobody a bigger fan than your parents. So to give them that was, like, really special.
1: Most definitely. I got to ask you, I've flown through airport security with an engagement ring, and knowing your story, you're recently engaged. First off, congrats on that. And obviously, you had to fly through security with that engagement ring. Which is more nervous, flying through security with an Emmy in your
2: suitcase or (laughs) flying
1: through security with an engagement ring? Which The engagement
2: ring is scary because it's not about losing it. No, it's about...
1: To me, it was about the guy at stopping my bag yes. and, and opening it up and be like, bro, come on, bro. You, I, you, I've planned for this for months on months yes. on months, and you're about to just spoil it right here because you found it in my
2: bag. Just let it go, bro. Luckily, you let it I've go. Learned, I think I've learned, though, that, like, if you put it in your shoe, they don't check. Like, I feel like I could put anything, and I'm not saying this for contraband. I was about to I'm say. I'm just saying that, like, I put anything in my shoe and it never gets checked. I may have put questionable stuff in my shoe. You know, gummy bears, Twizzlers. No, but, like, yeah, that I wasn't really worried about I was just more worried about, like, the driver that picked us up, like, grabbing my mm. bag and, like, somehow a pocket opening. You just – you start having these weird fears out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, most definitely. I went with the – I don't know about you. I went with the James Bond pocket is what I call it on my, uh, oh, my nice. winter coat. You know, I kept my ring in there the whole time. And, like, I heard you on your show. I, I padded that – bastard probably 3,000 times. I proposed in Central Park in New York. Um, being an Atlanta kid, we got to go there for the first time, at least I did, to New York, and I thought no, special, no more special place uh, to do that than there. But um, nonetheless, oh, we'll yeah. move on, bro. Um, I know this story, and I've asked you to expound upon it before, but how does one go from doing local news in Lincoln, Nebraska, in places like Louisville, Kentucky, to sit next to Charles Barkley calling a Tiger versus Phil matchup or even doing something as awesome like the Rookies and Sophomore Games on MTV, bro. How did you get your start? Where was your big break?
2: Yeah, so I, I wish I was in Lincoln, Nebraska. I was in Hastings, Nebraska, Ugh. which was part of the Lincoln market, but about two hours west and about 200,000 people's less. Um, it's weird because, like, I talk to people like you who are on the come up and that want to achieve great things. And like when I was coming up, these paths existed that everybody followed. Mm -hmm. And now there really is no hard and set path. And that's great because it opens it up to everybody, but at the same time, it opens it up to everybody. (laughs) Yeah. But I I think that's great because that's the internet. And and for me, it's if you make good stuff, people will watch it because eventually the best stuff has to prevail. Mm -hmm. But like, I was always told you start off in a small market, then you move up to a media market. Then you get your chance at a bigger local market, like in the top 15 and then like maybe national. And you just, it's, it was a process that made sense. So for me, I was just doing that. I was a new one man band news reporter in Hastings, Nebraska, shot my own stuff, wrote my own stuff, drove to stories, set up the camera, did all that thing. And then that was from 2008 to 2010 and they would let me do high school football on Fridays because I was like, I need to do sports. 2010, I get a news reporter job in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I convinced them after about four months to let me transition over to sports, and I did that for about three years. And it was it was tough because I loved it, and I enjoyed the city, but at the same time, I'm going, I am doing the 6 o'clock news And all I'm doing is taking what I saw on Twitter Mm -hmm. and then just putting video on it and and summarizing the day in three minutes. And I couldn't get signed to an agent uh, because everyone would tell me that, hey, you're a moderately attractive white sportscaster. There's a million of them. There's nothing different about you. And I'd go, okay. And I got one agent to take a chance on me after he got recommended by my friend, Pat Forty, who covers a lot of college sports. Yeah, I think we've heard that name before here in the sports world, Pat Forty. Hey, and uh, so then um, I I would do this thing, man, where I would I I would get bored and I would go out on Sunday night in between the six and the 11 and Mm -hmm. I would go and have dinner with my friends. And they would always go, oh, man, when you go on TV tonight, it's Tiffany's birthday. Can you say Tiffany? Yes. Or they'd say, hey, th- say leaping lizards. And so the 11 o'clock news, I'd go up there and I'd be like, leaping lizards. You were Robert that Throws it up. Yes. I'd be like, oh, and happy birthday, Tiffany. And they'd send me these videos of them just like dying in their living room. Because, mm-hmm. come on, man, when, when you're on TV and you say stuff about your friends, it's the funniest thing of all time. I had a friend named Joe. He would come in. He'd go, all right, say fancy footwork on a play where there's no fancy footwork. And I was like, <laughs> deal. And, like, I would just do it, and they would die. And I was like, I need to open this up to everybody. Mm-hmm. did it on Twitter, and that led to my big break where I got, like, 40 wrestling references, and I wove them in. And it, the first – never forget. I go to sleep, dude, and it's, like, 1130, and right before I go to bed, I see a favorite or a like, whatever it, it was called back mm-hmm. then, from Awful Announcing. And I remember yeah. going to bed and going and going, this is either going to be great for me or awful for me. Like they're either going to shred me or they're going to post me. They posted me. And I was, I was on like three wrestling podcasts that week. Like some local radio host from Baltimore was like, Hey, it's W R 2 D 2. And we're joined by <laughs> like, I'm like, this is crazy. Um, next week I did Seinfeld and that one blew, blew up. That mm-hmm. was like all of, all of my friends were coming on the work, work, Woodwork saying, Hey man, so great to see how successful you're doing. And it was like, I was like, Real I just got a video posted. Like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Yeah. And um, and then the last week I did uh, rap.
1: And, and that one really took off, right?
2: Yeah, and, and you've heard this before. I got yeah. I got tweeted out the next day by World Star Hip Hop and five mm-hmm. minutes later, Time magazine. And nine of the ten agents that wouldn't listen to me reached out uh, Bleacher Report, who I had auditioned with already, Mm -hmm. um, and and didn't get a job. They kind of were like, Oh, like maybe this, this could actually work. And that got me the job at Bleacher Report. And then I spent my time at Bleacher Report, man, for about two, three years, me and and Sims and just a lot of other Mm -hmm. people would just, I would do like 40 videos a day and it was only for the app. And what's weird is, you, everyone thinks when they're going to go to a bigger place that they're about to blow up. But there's so much more competition at the yeah. bigger places for eyeballs and for spacing. And uh, I actually went to dinner with uh, Sims on Friday and Fendrick, and we were talking about how we genuinely believe that no one else in the industry has as many reps as us because we would be locked in a, in a, in a studio for eight hours a day yeah. making 40 videos a day. And mm-hmm. so that's why both of us laugh when, when like, Turner calls me up to do the All-Star game or mm-hmm. NBC with Sims. And they're like, you're going to be able to handle this. And we just go, man, as long as there's a microphone and a red light, we're good. Because yeah, I've, I've had to talk my way so out of many, every situation. So
1: many live and dead reps over the years that it's just yeah. second nature at this point. But
2: the last thing I'll say for you, man, is, like, I, I still don't think I've made it at all. Like, mm-hmm. I still, like, I'm... I read this book uh, by Ryan Holiday uh, called Perennial Seller. And it's this, the book is about companies that last for a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Like what did they do in the beginning to last that long? You know, its they, they didn't just have a great product. Like it's instilled in the culture. And so for me, like I'm not, I don't want to be famous. Like I don't want to be a flash in the pan. Like I want to be, I want to be like a Dan Patrick, Bob Costas, Ernie, like Ernie Johnson's like, if I, if I don't really have the Holy grail, man, right. <laughs> I just think cause of who he is as a person, mm-hmm. like every time I'm around him, I'm like, what a great guy. And then when I see his work ethic, I'm like, man, this guy is a grinder. And like, everyone respects him and he's cool with a Charles Barkley and he's cool with like the secretary of state. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think, I think we're all, we're all getting there. Um, and I, I always appreciate when someone feels like I've made it. Cause I'm sure like from your perspective, like to be where I'm at would be amazing. Mm-hmm. And I look at where you are and I go, man, like what a fun time to kind of create and like, not like to, to kind of be like open and, and you get to kind of figure out who you are. Mm-hmm. That, that stuff was so intimidating to me. And I'm sure it's scary for a lot of young people in broadcasting because, you watch Stephen A. Smith and you watch Colin Coward and they they believe in what they're saying so much. And you're like, I don't know if I'm ever going to believe anything that much. And what's interesting is now, like, I try not to listen to anybody because they're going to impact my thought. Yeah, definitely and form your own opinion. Yes. But I think, you know, in the beginning, I would study those guys. And I would see, okay, so where are they taking this? Okay, so if somebody asks me that, I have my opinion, and now I know their opinion. Yeah. And you just kind of build this repertoire of, like, being confident in your own thought. And it's uh, it's an interesting time, man. So I, I but you're, you're already kicking ass. I got a lot of hope for you. No, nah, man.
1: I, I love asking you these questions, Adam, because I can't hear your story enough, man, because here's my thing. Here's my takeaway off your story. OK, look, everyone works extremely hard in this business. If you're successful, you're probably working your ass off. Right. But everyone works hard again. Not everyone did it your way. I mean, you, you did it by right. being far more creative. Than your competition and that's what to me sets you aside and it's something I still see in your work today Lefko. as a fan of yours and as someone who uh, you know creates their own content like I do I know that when you bring me something when you bring me an opinion or when you bring me some research you've absolutely busted your ass to make it perfect and not only make it perfect but make it your own and be extremely creative and for that man I respect the hell out of you and uh, Thanks, I man. really, really appreciate what you do. Um, I've, I've told people this before, and I don't think I've ever told you. I came to the Sims and Left Co podcast for Sims. I stayed for Lefco. I mean um, hey, bro that's, that's the nice. way it was. I, I, came, I came to that podcast, and i will be 100 percent honest with you. I came to that podcast solely for the opinions of Chris Sims, and I truly As you stayed. Should. Yeah, and I, and I stayed for you and that's, and you know it's, I got to meet Stockton you in person. Him alone. Yeah, I mean, not even that, bro. Y'all, I think y'all are two of your own. I mean, you're obviously two of your own entities at this point. Like, um, yeah. Now you you may have learned more from Sims and, the in the you know the football knowledge and aspect of that uh, things like that, but there's no doubt he was he's a better broadcaster and uh, you know on air personality now than he was three years ago when you guys started working together too. So anyone who hasn't seen the trade offs that you've both given to each other, they're just sure. playing blind and ignorant, right? So.
2: But that, you know what, that's the that's the beautiful thing about a good team Yeah, is, like, me and, me and Sims were laughing on Friday where uh, I was like, dude, isn't it wild that, like, when you just put your head down and you grind, like, four weeks goes by and you look up and you're like, holy crap, I haven't seen Sims. I haven't seen Lefko. Yeah. And we are just laughing about it because it's, when when it's something that you love and it's something that you care about, you don't mind putting in the extra time. No. Like. Like I'm the kind of guy that like I'll be up until 2 a.m. if that's what all the research needs to be done to set myself up the next morning to write a good take or to think of some funny concepts. And I think um I think what what's been really great is is like if I was gonna be candid about my relationship with Sims and how it helped me grow, I was so confident in Sims's opinions mm-hmm. because I I saw the work that he did that I, and he's so robot, like repetitive in terms of his routine, that it it's caused me to him, have bro. a routine. Yeah, it's the 100 the athlete. Like yeah. I was always the guy on the team that I'd hit like a big shot in practice, and mm-hmm. I'd be like, "Yo, how about that shot I hit in practice?" And they're like, "What do you mean? Like we've already moved on?" And yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, man, but I drilled it. And I kept my hand up, and then I backward. You know what I mean?" So yeah. his work ethic rubbed off on me, and I think what what really rubbed off on me to him i would say is not not making uh tv so mathematical mm-hmm. i think it's so easy to go okay now we're going to talk about this and here's your reaction and then back to this guy it's like no we can take this in different ways like it doesn't have to be the same thing every time because i'm i'm the kind of person where i've had to reinvent myself so many times yeah. that now i now i get excitement out of it mm-hmm. now it's like ooh what am I going to do with NFL players this year where like a lot of people would say, run it back. And I'm yeah. like, I don't know. Like, do I want to Nathan for you? This, do I want to like, do I want to like do some crazy stuff? Do I want to do round tables? Like I love the idea of reinvention because I owe it to you guys. Like, I really mean that. Like, yeah, dude, the, the, when I say that the podcast really did not start getting going, until I began living in the DMs, I really mean that. It's the, the number one way to build a community is to build a community. Yeah, you got to reach a,
1: out first sometimes and, and swallow like, the Like, Dude, I have,
2: so many, I have so many people in my mentions that are like, what microphone should I buy? What, what should I talk about? Blah, yeah. blah, and I'm like, okay, here's the main rules. What do you care about the most in life? Mm-hmm. Talk about that. Just start putting things on wax. Like if you if you heard me and Sims early on, like it was awful. Like it really was bad. Mm-hmm. And and you just got to get more reps in and then care about – it's not just about what you want to say. It's what you think people want to hear you talk about. Too. Yeah. Because it's for them. It's not for you, you know? No, I definitely understand. All right, man. Let's get into some of these NFL
1: topics, all right? I yeah. fancy I fancy you as the player empowerment guy in the media nowadays, Adam. So I want your take on the three biggest power moves involved involving three of the sport's biggest names, obviously this offseason. We're gonna go um, you know, through the big names, right? OBJ, Lev Bell, and A B. But we gotta start sure. with your guy, the man whose face is literally painted on the walls of your workplace. OBJ was traded yeah. for Jabril Peppers, a 17th uh, pick in the first round and the second of third picks from the Cleveland Browns, Um, I'm still kind of wrapping my brain around it. I know we're late uh, on this news. We've already covered it. Everyone else has. But I wanted your take in particular. The number one question everyone's asking, Adam,
2: what in the hell was David Gettleman thinking, man? I think if Dave Gettleman had done this a year ago, he would have been universally applauded when there was another market for Odell Beckham. And the Rams were in and the Patriots were in and the Niners were in and there were multiple first round picks. And I think before you give him the contract, you need to move on from Eli. Like I'm looking at the Dolphins. That is a pure tank job rebuild. Mm -hmm. You get you get arguably maybe the best like tank quarterback ever. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Because you can go to that guy at halftime and go, listen, man, we're up 21. We need you to throw four pick-sixes. <laughs> and, no, and no one's going to question it. And guess what? Like, we're paying you $14 like, million dollars this year,
1: and you're going to do what well, we say. are going to do like so six, six and you. a half
2: or something like that. Yeah, yeah whatever. But I look at the Giants and I go, okay, so you got Nate Salter ain't that young. You just yeah. traded for like a 30-something guard in Zeitler. You're paying them mm-hmm. a lot of money. You got Saquon, so what? You're just gonna, you're gonna what? You're gonna run Saquon into the ground oh. because everyone's gonna load the box to uh, to bide you time before you get your young quarterback. Because everything I'm hearing from people inside the organization is they're not going for a quarterback this year. Yeah. So see, this is a straight Eli year, bro.
1: What I don't understand is, like, if you're going to do the whole tanking thing, if you're going to do the whole Miami Dolphins or, you know, there's a couple teams that you could legitimately make the case for in the NFL, you know, maybe even Cincy. Like, you could make the case that they probably need sure. to be doing something similar up there. For all the teams tanking, if you're going to tank, do it like the Cleveland Browns did. Amass as many picks, as many shots on the dartboard yes. as you possibly can. That means when you give up Landon Collins to walk away in free agency and you're getting a third-round comp pick, you don't forfeit that comp pick by signing Golden Frickin' Tate of all people. Yep. Right? If you're going to you know, convince your whole fan base that tank, you know, we're establishing for the future, which I don't even think that's the rhetoric we've heard out of New York, especially out of Gettleman's mouth. Gettleman yeah. seems almost like – I don't – I can't really – it's hard for me to sit here and bash on him like everyone's already doing because it's – I mean, you can hop on the wa- the wagon of jumping on Gettleman right now, but the honest fact is he's probably answering to the Mara family there. They're probably not allowing him to move on from Eli because they saw what happened to McAdoo when he tried to do it there. I mean, you can't really that's, do it right now. That's the problem,
2: right? That to me is the reason we're here here. Yeah. is – the reason, the reason that the Odell interview with Lil Wayne was received so badly was not because it's Lil Wayne, and it wasn't because Odell did an interview. It's that the main crux of the interview is that Odell really wanted to say that Eli doesn't have it anymore, and yeah. the team got upset. Now, I'll say this. Should a team be upset that their star player is publicly disparaging their quarterback? Absolutely but call me crazy if I'm a star player and I'm going, guys, we've known for like two yeah. years that That's this guy's not say. the guy. you're putting me in a situation where I have to lie mm-hmm. and you're hurting my statistics, you're depreciating my value and no one's ever won a battle with the the, the Manning family before. So yeah. I think Odell was like I'm stuck in this situation. I can't do this because I don't want to be this quote-unquote cancer. But at the same point, the team's going, we can't have a wide receiver that's going to say anything. And I, my argument is just he wouldn't need to say anything if you didn't have him at quarterback.
1: I mean, the one thing to me, Lefko, you hit on right there was the the line. Like, you're asking this star-wide receiver to go out there and lie every, every, press, every press conference. And when you talk about, you know, how the locker room reacts to that, as a former football player, and I know you've heard Sims say this, the dudes in the locker room, they know. Everyone in that in yes. in that in that closed the door, yes, they, they all know. So for, for a, a journalist or an analyst to come out and say, well, this affects the locker room in X, X way or, or Y way, that's just not true because those grown-ass men inside those doors every single day, they go to practice. They know what they see. So when he goes out there and says that and makes that feeling known because the ownership's not reacting to it, those guys don't, you know, take negative light towards that in, no. in terms of OBJ. Think about this.
2: To transition also to kind of Antonio Brown. Yeah. He's on, he was on the shop, and I played this clip on the podcast. Yeah. Where he's, he says, Big Ben goes out there after the Denver game, mm-hmm. and he says that I ran a bad route, and and I want to blow up. But what is the Pittsburgh PR people do? They, roll they don't go it. up to Big Ben. Yeah. They don't go up to Big Ben and say, hey, man. You know, you didn't need to throw your wide receiver under the bus. They don't go to Antonio Brown and say, hey, Antonio, why are you so mad right now? Mm -hmm. The first thing they say to him is, hey, I need you to walk back those comments and I need you to play nice. So it's the same thing with Odell. Hey, Odell, we really don't like that you made these comments. We wish you talked back. And it's like, look, man, like when is anyone going to ask, I'm I'm the most famous guy on this team. Mm -hmm. I'm the most highly paid guy on this team. When am I gonna get? When am I gonna get to voice my opinions? Like you have Eli up there every week yeah. to talk to the owner. When do I get to go up? And it's—I think it's fair. And it, maybe it's because I'm a wide receiver diva at heart. But we just ask these star wide receivers to—we to, know that they're crazy and they talk a lot, but we ask them to not talk all the time. And I think if you just gave them good stuff to talk about, they'd be fine. Most definitely. All right. Before we move on
1: from the giant side of this uh, trade, man, I just got to hit on some things and look, and and I'm going to ask you this as I'm going to hit on the Philadelphia Eagles fan in Adam Lefko. All right. So you got, here's the dead. Yeah, I know. Here's the dead cap, right? You got OD Odell's a $16 million hit. JPP was a $15 million hit last year. Olivier Vernon, 8 mil, Snacks Harrison, 8 mil, Eli Apple, 8 mil, and some dude named Patrick Omame for another 5 mil. So as of now, the New York Giants, since Dave Gettleman's taken over, have eaten $49 million in dead cap. I'm no accountant, uh, Adam, and I just know that's not a very good job of managing your salary. So as an Eagles fan, how safe do you feel knowing the Gettleman is keeping the salaries of Gotham at bay at night?
2: Oh I, I love that. Uh, I also want to say though that the only thing I will say is Jerry Reese did make a lot of those a lot of those decisions signings. yeah and and he was he was in like the old school form of NFL of locking up guys and mm-hmm. keeping guaranteed money late to deals, which now you never see like it's this, totally back this year, nowadays. Now it's now it's, you get guaranteed money in the first two years, mm-hmm. and almost every contract is a two or a three year deal. I think yeah. of all the free agent signings, only three uh, had money guaranteed money like longer than four years.
1: And one of them is so, Nick Foles, so you can't really count, right? That. Yeah,
2: so I, I do think that he had to get out of it. Um, but I will say that all I have to do is look at Kettleman's Gettle- track record. Yeah. Um, what what he did in Carolina and how he left that place decimated um, makes me feel yeah very confident as an Eagles fan. He, the fact that there is a GM in this league that that we romanticize the fact that he calls them hog mollies, that he's obsessed with the running game, and he believes that Eli Manning can still do this for more years. Like I don't need anything else. I have Howie Roseman. Yeah. I have I have a GM that has perfected the compensatory pick system. I have a GM who openly and is able to do deals with Bill Belichick on a repeated basis, which Belichick really only does that with people that he knows understands it. Yeah. Uh he's a guy that's willing to reevaluate. They understand analytics, they put spatial sensors on their players to track, you know, injuries and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I look at the Giants and I go, They're so far. Prehistoric from the new age NFL that there's a benefit to not having history sometimes because when you're one of the original teams and your owners won your team because of a horse race and you've been around since like the original six, they're going to hang over that franchise Mm -hmm. like a ghost. And they, they, we want it done this way because that's the reason we have Super Bowls. The reason the Patriots have so many in the last two decades is because every year they change. And every year the Giants stay the same. And I bless them for it. I really do.
1: All right, so from one bad GM, let's jump over to the other one. Let me ask you this. Do you think you could flip the Browns roster as well as John Dorsey has over the last 18 months, even on Madden with the forced trades turned on? Mm, That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, uh, seriously, turn the force trades on. Do I don't even think you could, right? I mean, you can't even make cap space fit well enough to turn a better roster over. I don't think you could.
2: Browns, The Browns discussion right now reminds me so much of the Sixers discussion, where when, you know, Ben Simmons started coming in and Embiid was there and all these players were making sense and the cap was great and we had all those picks, a large part of the Sixers fan base still said, thank you, Sam Hinkie." Yeah. And that the, the GMs now were reaping the rewards of them. And Are you I saw she Brown and me. I, what I'm saying is that it's, it's a crime not to give him credit. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, is Sam Hinkie deserves some. Mm-hmm. And the current state, like, like Elton brand deserves some. Yeah. I feel the same way with the Browns where he, you have to have somebody that's willing to fall on the sword mm-hmm. and accept all of the blame. My dad hated the process. Hated it. And he would always say, Adam, there's no skill in losing. And I understood that. But you do need to have someone that's willing to accept all of that. Yeah. Every franchise thinks they're willing to tank. Mm-hmm. And then you get into year two of a four-year yeah. process, and you become like the Haslams. Yep. And you get impatient. And you stop it. You need to have somebody that can go, this is our direction. We're Man, never backing off. It's... And But I will say this. Where I give the credit to John Dorsey, his entire tenure of GM came down to that Baker Mayfield pick. Yeah, All of this. Yep. I don't care if you have that D-line, you have that O-line, you have the cap space, you got Landry, you got Odell. Doesn't if their matter. quarterback was Deshaun Kaiser, none of this would matter. Yep. And so he had to hit that right. And I think while Josh Allen is physically gifted and Sam Darnold looks nimble in the pocket, Lamar Jackson looks like a gamer, and Josh Rosen, I do not know, Baker is far and away the number one. Yeah, I was about far to say far and away the number one of of a, of a class where there were five guys that no one could tell it apart mm-hmm. for three months. And you know what? I'll be humble enough to tell you
1: right now, Adam. I had him like third on my quarterbacks list in that draft class As last did year. I. And so did after I. after about four throws against the New York Jets in that Thursday night game, I yes. said, "Oh shit!" Like the first, he had that one
2: ball that was a back shoulder to, to Landry. Ja- yeah, to and Jarvis. I went, I went "Yep." He's the guy. It didn't even
1: take me that long. He threw, he threw a slant route to the inside slot receiver and the ball just came out of his hand. And I said, Oh yeah. damn, I was immediately was like, yeah, it does. And I, I was, I, I immediately, I knew I was wrong, which so kinda... I'm
2: down. I was, Go I was ahead. down at Turner. I was down at Turner on Thursday. Cause they keep bringing me down there to do like these NBA Twitter shows. Oh, you poor and... soul complain some more. Well, no, no. I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just lovely. playing I'm with, you. I'm messing with you. Um, and one of, Char- well, the, the, one of the directors of the show is also a good friend of Chuck, and he's a Browns fan. Mm-hmm. And I was telling him how excited I am for him. Like, I, I used to date a Browns fan. Like, it would be awful watching those games. I can't imagine what you've been through. And I said, the thing, though, that I'm excited about is you don't have, uh, and I'm not disparaging it, but you don't have a Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. No. You don't have a Nick Foles. You don't have a guy that's like a question well, mark together as a team. No, 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 no. I mean more like a good guy. Oh, yeah, those guys would have been like, Hey, isn't this great? Isn't this special? I'm so happy that they have like a dude that could be an inglorious bastards that could walk <laughs> into a stadium and be like, Hey Steelers, double birds, yeah. we're coming to take the north. Like that's what you want. Like yeah. that's what I love about the Sixers with MB. Like the one guy that you question the whole time walks in and goes, I'm the best player in the league, eat this. And that's what I'm so happy about Baker because if Odell, if they're questioning Odell, I can already see Baker is going to get on the podium and he's going to go don't question Odell. Oh, he's already he's to it. He's the hardest working dude on the team. He's already yeah, got it. it's going to be amazing.
1: He was at, uh. He defends the city, the franchise, the players. It's perfect. I can't remember where he was uh, just this week, but um, he was, uh, where was he at? I think he was at a basketball game or something, but they asked him about, uh, you know, having OBJ in the locker room, and he basically said, he's just like me. We're the same temperament. We both want to win, and nothing's going to stop us from doing that, so I, I don't see any problems, and he said, that's how our locker room is, so. I think That's he's awesome. the, the perfect type of temperament. Um, and guys, man, guys yes. want to bust their balls to play for that kid. I mean um, – Yes, because think about it, man.
2: If it was a second-year quarterback, we'd go, ooh, I don't know if yeah. Odell's going to be good for his development. Exactly. But because it's Baker, we're not worried.
1: Nah. All right, so um, what are realistic expectations, bro? I, I said on my show, um, you know, if you're, if you're a Browns fan and you're coming at me with anything less than, you know, 11, 12 wins is your expectations – um, you, you didn't suffer long enough. Basically, that kind of tells me where your That's fandom high. was. I know it's high, but of all fan bases in this world, to believe that this is finally the year things have accum- accumulated, this has got to be it for the Cleveland Browns. If they, I said, I, I don't
2: know if this is the year.
1: No, I'm but saying I as this
2: is, I think this is the window.
1: No, I'm saying Lefko, as a fan. As if you're oh, a yeah. diehard Cleveland Browns fan, there is no reason why you shouldn't believe. That you're riding nah, on on high no, right now. No,
2: I think I think you're seeing it backwards. Oh, really? They're think, they're skeptics. They have to be, of course. Yeah, dude. It, like as an Eagles fan, like I never thought that Super Bowl was going to happen. Like the playoff run, I was like, okay, Nick Foles is going to be really bum, like real soon. We don't have to worry about this. Knowing Browns fans, they're known for the drive. Yeah. They're known for the mistake at the lake. They're yeah. known for like the fumble. The fumble. They're known, for, yeah, like so. it's all things that were mistakes. Yeah. And, and so they're sitting there going, what's going to go wrong. And as I said, the only people that can mess us up are the hazards. Like, or, or if Freddie kitchens ends up not being able to handle it, but Mm -hmm. um, no, I I can tell you right now that Cleveland Browns fans are more nervous than excited because when you, when you go, when you go from a, I think right now they're thrilled. Yeah. Right now they're happy. They're ready to go. This is the best time of the year for the NFL. You get to go to like your roster and you look at your depth chart and you go, who's got a better D line than us. Oh man, these wide receivers are going to be incredible. And then, you know, once they start getting predicted in sports illustrated and people go on TV and they start saying overrated, underrated. And then after they lose an early game that they shouldn't, I look at their schedule. They get to play the AFC East. It's yeah. a great year to play the Dolphins. It's a solid year to play the Jets. You know, Buffalo is at home. Always a good year uh, to play the Bills. Yeah, so I think, though, that I, I would say that if they ended up with, like, 9 or 10, I think they can win the division. Yeah. I think it's them in Baltimore. No, nah. And I think that might be enough to get it done. Man, it's it's no reason I, I mistake or misunderstood
1: the idea of fandom. I I, I don't have a team. Uh, I used yeah, to, I used don't. to root for the. Uh, no, I don't, man. And and here's why. And I, it's a kind of a. It's not really a long story, but it is. I used to be a diehard Georgia Bulldogs fan, and um, sure. for the people in this area, they know there was a stretch there from like 2009 to like 2000. pro I would say probably 12, where it's just yeah. complete. Just, like, never meeting up to any type of standards. Mark Rick was the devil oh, kind of thing. Yeah. And so I got to the point where I was, like, pulling my hair out at games. And I was getting to the point where I was, like, 16, 17 years old. And I was like, man, maybe this narcotic isn't for me. Maybe I don't need to be messing around with this fandom stuff because yeah, it kind of makes me irrational. You
2: guys are 9 and 3. You guys are like, 9 and 3 underperforming yes. every year. Yeah, so – I, I, saw no that. I saw that happening over
1: and over and over again. And I was like, man, this kind of irrational behavior isn't necessarily for me. And I always sought myself as someone who would eventually try to get into the broadcasting world. So if I was ever going to call games, I would imagine it would be best to not have any type of allegiances or alliances. Because no matter what, when you run up on that one Philadelphia Eagles game on Monday Night Football yeah. here in 10 years when you're hosting, you know, Monday Night Leftco and the eagles are playing the redskins <laughs> you know you're going to have a little bit of backwards bias or you know in the background bias there of so, course um, yeah, but the
2: truth thing is is and i've i've tried to fight this for a long time i don't want to be a journalist no i don't, I don't want to be someone that hides it because i think the people that hide it are the most biased um the, the key is though is you're always able to channel it and you're not actively rooting yeah but like the thing is, is I've never when people like hear announcers say stuff unless you hear announcer go yeah or ooh like <laughs> how do you know they're biased like no, why because they were like oh I think that's a fumble like it doesn't matter what they think we're gonna yeah. I just I've never understood where the biases could come out uh, I think people just mistake their team playing like crap for the announcer having bias but I am all about saying where my biases are mm-hmm. because then when I talk glowingly about you know, the Dallas Cowboys, or I pick them to win the NFC East and people get surprised. They, realize they really that, know like, it's
1: true. Like you feeling. Yeah. That. they
2: And I was right. But yeah. it, it's one of those things where like, um, I'd rather, you know, where I come from and know who I am. And then you because Then if I'm a little bit too high on the Eagles, you can go, oh, that's left. He gets a little bit too high on the Eagles. And it's probably right. Like we're all, we're all trying to recalibrate every season.
1: No, I feel. I mean, I didn't really have to work to like remove the idea of fandom for sure. myself. It's just,
2: I just Did never. Did you go took... nuts when they were in the championship last year? No,
1: no? no, man, I wasn't. I, wow. Like I said, I d- I dumped the whole idea of like cheering for a team because uh, after the the dogs broke my heart for like six years in a row, and I was like, you know what, that's enough. And I never, I never took to the Falcons. I never took to the Hawks or the Braves or. Any teams like that? I always was just the only person or team I ever clung to was LeBron James. I follow LeBron like mm. Chris Sims does. I don't wear uh, LeBron's. I don't wear LeBron shoes like Chris Sims does because I'm not six five. Um, yeah. And to wear big. shoes that big, you have to be that large. And for those who don't know, Chris Sims is that big of a human being. Yeah, um, he's a big dude. Yeah, he really. I have is. a lot of
2: friends that are in LeBron like, stands. Like one of my good friends, Verani, like. He he. He'll have Lakers stuff, but he doesn't like the Lakers. He just likes LeBron. Like I have, nah. a, I have a few friends that are in the that's cold me, baby. LeBron. That's me. Yeah. You should introduce me to some of I'm your friends. I'm the cold of Iverson.
1: Well, uh, I mean, you're a Philly dude. That should be expected. Um, uh, he was a man. All right. I got to get your take on this, Le'Veon Bell, man. Um, as we already told He's the, the one audience, I'm most
2: nervous about.
1: That's what I'm saying, man. And here's why. You're as, as we told the audience, you're as pro player as they come. So I want to know. What were your initial thoughts when you first heard Le'Veon Bell is actually going to do it? He's going to hold out a full season, something we've never seen anybody do. What were your initial yeah. thoughts? I want to know those I was, thoughts. I was
2: so happy uh, because this is, this is what I've always wanted. And especially at that position, mm-hmm. uh, I know a lot of people are going, Oh, he said he would never take less than 16. He was expecting so much more money and his average per year is actually less. And he lost a year of playing 15 million and all that. And I go, yeah, but it's the one position in sports mm. that taking a year off might be good for you. It's the one position where it's car crash, car crash, car crash, and giving like taking a hiatus in the middle may actually extend your career a little bit. Um, and I think I don't know how he spent that time off. You know what I mean? Like seeing him on the jet ski, and looking yeah. kind of big. I mean, and, if you're in and Miami, you're doing you're
1: doing a few things in Miami, and um, none of them are really you know. Uh, what do you yeah, call them, course. philanthropically uh, related. I mean, you're probably but, at nightclubs and whatnot, but I get what you're the, saying. The,
2: the number, though, that everyone's mistaking is he was offered a five-year, $80 million deal from the Which Steelers is before, horseshit. But, it, but it only had $17 guaranteed. Yeah. And now he's getting like a $35 million guaranteed mm-hmm. deal. And that's what it's about. It's about the yeah. money that's going to be in your pocket. Um, I'm not sure if it's a great offensive line for him to be in. It's an amazing city for him to be in, in terms of marketing. Like the, the amount of TV he can do now is like 10 times more. Uh, I think he's got a good quarterback, uh, that's going to be able to read the field and put him in good situations. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think the jets are interesting because, um, I, I am one of those that do have faith in Adam Gase, even Mm -hmm. though a lot of people, it's been very popular to bash him, whether it's because of his eyes at the press conference or his lack of success in Miami. I would argue though that Miami was uh, a tough situation that needed to be decluttered. It needed to be kind of broken down a while ago. Mm -hmm. And so now uh, it's in a better situation, but his offense is a lot about underneath passes and using other running backs. And that's what Sam Garnold's strength is. And I think he's going to use Le'Veon Bell Hopefully, ten times more than you use Kenyan Drake, but yeah. um, my, I guess, I guess my thing is with Le'Veon, it's, it's, it's good for a player to do that to show other players that it's possible. Yeah, Khalil Mack, Antonio Brown, Aaron Donald, Most the hard. three highest-paid guys in the NFL, that all are did it to some extent. Khalil Mack held out. Mm-hmm. Aaron Donald held out. Antonio Brown demanded a trade. It's the only advantage that NFL players have is to threaten to not play. It's the only thing they got. So when a player's willing to do it, I salute them because you know it's like it's like diving on a grenade, man. He sacrificed a lot, and um, but I also think he's never been more well known. Yeah. And he's going to a bigger city, and I, I wish him luck for real.
1: Most definitely. All right, I can't have Adam Lefko on the NFL Mocks podcast without asking him some Eagles related questions. So the first one oh, I got I'm for cheering. you obviously is what of your are or, or excuse me, what are your immediate thoughts of the moves they've made this offseason? I'll go ahead and tell you right off the bat. I love that they chose to re-sign the important guys and let loose yes. of the expensive guys, right? Guys like Jason Kelsey and even to the extent the 35-year-old Jason Peters is really important to that what we what we talked about earlier, that culture, right? I mean, Jason Kelsey is one of the best centers, if not the best center in all of football. And you let go of the overpriced talent that we talked about, right? Like Donald Darby. Um, the price tag on that no, was going to be – we got him back for cheap. Got him back for cheap after letting him go we figure him out his like own market, NBA. right?
2: Yes. That's that's what I would say is it's not even just who they decide to bring back. It's when you have guys like Jason Kelsey and Jason yeah. Peters and all these guys that go, on. want to back for one more time. That yes. shows you a few things. It shows you the culture that exists, but it also shows you that these old guys are like, dude, we can make another run at this, mm-hmm. and that's infectious. I love, I love the addition of Malik Jackson for two mm-hmm. reasons. One, I think he's talented, and then that's the Fletcher Cox. Uh, he's going to get a lot of single teams. He's a But dog. two, I like a big-name player that got a contract and people called him overrated Ooh. because that drive, that next team, is going to be out of bounds. Um, I think that the Eagles are in a good spot. I would say right now that they are, you know, I would say even with the Dallas Cowboys, I would say, you know, before the draft, I probably look at them as another 10 and 6, 11 and 5 team um, because I have faith in Carson Wentz. That's what really comes down is can Carson Wentz stay healthy and can he learn from all the rumors about sticking to the playbook and throwing to someone that's not named Zach Ertz? I think that Carson Wentz could have a very big year. And if he does, then the Eagles could be an NFC championship contending team, even though everyone thought that last year was kind of fluky. They, They have the core.
1: That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, so obviously you had the decent rookie season there with Wentz, right? And then the great second year that's cut short with injury and then another injury ridden riddled third year. Um, I know you just kind of hit on it, but you don't sound like you're riding the wave like you necessarily were uh, if we were to take this answer ask this question, you know, maybe 24 months ago. So at this point right now, your franchise is completely leaning on Carson Wentz. How comfortable yes, and confident are you in that moving forward? Because we know the talent, right? But at this point, yeah. this is a guy who's had multiple knee injuries um, all the way dating back to two of them in college. So, um yeah, back. and And now a back, which is way, way worse, right? I mean – the knee, the knee surgeries have completely elevated with modern technology. Um, it's almost as simple as in-and-out one-day surgeries. But yeah. the back is the back, man. Compressing the spine is not necessarily the most natural position in the world. So how confident are you in Carson Wentz, my man?
2: I, this is going to be an interesting answer. I'm actually more confident because of that story that came out about questioning yeah. Carson Wentz as liked by the team. Because one of the things that was said, was that he held on to the ball too long mm-hmm. because he wanted to make a special play. Andrew Luck had this problem. Russell Wilson had this problem. When you're Patrick Mahomes could eventually get this problem. Yeah. When you're that talented, why do I need to throw it out of bounds?
1: Yeah. I let me you. make
2: a play. Let me like Josh Allen, let me make a man miss. But now that he's gone through injuries and that story came out, I think he's gonna be more willing to throw the pass right away. Yeah, play I think he's gonna be more system. willing to not come on, man, just put on some Andrew Luck film and show him what the hell happened. Yeah. So I I think that I do have faith that he'll turn it around. But then again, I'm also an Eagles fan, so I have to have faith because if he doesn't and he gets hurt again, then we're actually really deep in the hole and it may be a three to four recovery process, years. So, uh, But I think he will. I think he's smart and I think he's a Mm -hmm. good dude and I think he's talented. So I have faith in... I think, yeah, I think he's a competitor. That's
1: the, yeah, the most important thing. He's a competitor. Um, all right. So for those that don't know Leftco's work, uh, he runs the biggest, uh, public relations, uh, firm in all of hey, athletics, Leftco PR. Lefko PR. So I've got some suggestions for you.
2: Um, and Ooh, then I'll some ask Lefko you, PR for Leftco.
1: Yeah. Some Leftco PR, not necessarily for you, but for some other players. Um, uh, maybe you can okay, sign deal. off on these things. Right. And, uh, you know, I've got some, you know, some easy ones, like Le'Veon Bell should take weekly runs through Central Park a la Rocky to help his weight Ooh. loss questions, right? But the key here, Leftco, they've got to be at the crack of dawn, right? The sun has to be rising over that uh, New York City horizon uh, before you get out there, right? you got to get that camera shot, that B-roll looking good. My other one and my favorite here, Cole Beasley, right? After signing a four-year 29 million dollar deal in Buffalo. The acclaimed rapper should release his second album, quote, The Cold Beasley
2: drops from the buff. What do you think about that? Oh, that's really good. Right? The cold Beasley. The I like going a lot Beasley, right? to your Le'Veon Bell. I'm gonna take your PR and I'm gonna supersize it. The key, though, is not about getting the perfect shot, the key is being in public and getting a collection of cell phone shots. Yeah. It needs to seem natural. Not even on his. looking for the attention. Oh, okay, okay. Exactly. So you got a stage don't, for I don't want the professional photography. I don't want that. Yeah. I want some person who's riding in a carriage around Central Park to happen catch a stance with, mm-hmm. is Le'Veon Bell in Central Park? I think it needs to seem like he doesn't need the attention because all he's wanted is the attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, my other thing I would say for Cole Beasley and I'm actually going to try and do this this summer by uh, doing a few things. With Get a him few freestyle the rap- on your show. Well, no, what I really want is it's time for some NFL battle raps. Ooh. It's time for all these NFL players that have these rap albums to drop a diss track. I need Cole Beasley to come at Le'Veon. Mm. I need Le'Veon to come at Melvin Ingram. I need mel- like, dude, like to to go at uh, uh, who was the guy for the Chiefs, the pass rusher that went to pe- Taba Ali is a, is a is a singer. He likes There's got to gotta sing. be a way. Oh, there are so many guys in the league that drop rap albums. Oh, I mean, you give, you give you give a we bunch start of having some diss
1: you give a bunch of kids that grew up listening to hip hop music a bunch of money. The lead, the last thing you know, maybe probably the first thing they're gonna do is go buy some studio time. I mean, damn.
2: And the, you know what? They don't even need to buy studio time.
1: No, nah, people give it they to them. They <laughs> buy a
2: studio. No, they buy a studio in their house. Well, there you go. Dude, I'm on Jarvis Landry's Instagram, and he's saying I'm dropping new stuff. Man, <laughs> athletes want to be performers.
1: Performers want to be athletes, and they
2: they always do. That's why J. Cole is trying to dunk at the All Star game, yeah. and LeBron's dropping rap albums because it, it's the two things that are the most fun in this world: yeah. playing sports with your boys and listen to a beat drop. It's the best.
1: All right, so I got last five questions for you. We call them five under ten, okay? I got five questions for you. Try to get them answered under ten seconds. My only rule here, and I'm enacting the rule now, okay? The number one thing most commonly said on this podcast when I ask one of these questions is this right here. Ooh, that's a really good question. I know it's a really good question. Quit stalling for time and answer the damn thing, okay? Wow, that was aggressive. That was aggressive. I'm sorry, man.
2: <laughs>
1: but nonetheless, you get it's what I'm good. saying, right? That's the that's damn the, I wanna say it's move. so
2: hard. I wanna say it's so hard. Of course it is. You have to realize though that when you, when people ask fun questions, no, I know it's want to supply move. fun answers. Yeah. And so what happens is is they're trying to match your wit and it, that you know, it's Man, that's just like a a direct response from your body that you can't control. So I'll try to control No,
1: I don't want your wit. I just want your natural under pressure. I want to put a little pressure on you. That's why I sound aggressive. You want my
2: family feud. You want my family feud. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. What's up? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand up, Uh and I'm going to put my hands behind my back, Okay. and I'm going to face out as though I'm on the final round of Family Feud with Steve Harvey. And I'm going to put myself under the pressure. All right. Okay, whenever you're ready.
1: All right. So number one, you got the ding okay. dong ding dong in the background, Thanks, right? Steve. All right, yeah. here we go. Favorite sports movie of all time. Go.
2: Ooh, the first one that came to my mind is Water Boy. It's not my favorite. My favorite is White Man Can't Jump. All right, my favorite of all
1: time is Remember the Titans. Uh little birdie told me you've never seen it.
2: Uh, no, still haven't seen
1: it. Yeah, man. Next he's time, tell
2: Washington. He's God, gonna bang man. a table and yell at somebody. That's not, I'm not it. Excited for that scene. That's not it, man. I know. you got to see that movie, it's, bro. It's race relations. I know. It's oh,
1: Lee, I put this question in here on purpose just to give you a little flack for never having seen Remember the Titans, bro.
2: That's fine. Have you seen Ace Ventura 2 and Nature Calls?
1: Absolutely. It's definitely better than the first one. And the slinky scene, hands down, best cinematic scene in all of movie history.
2: Perfect. You nailed it.
1: All right. Number two, favorite current Philadelphia athlete can be baseball, basketball, or
2: football. Go. I am going to say that my favorite Philadelphia athlete – the first one that came to my mind was Bryce Harper. It's fresh my on your favorite, mind. He is. He's he's exciting. He's new. He's shiny. Um, and then the second one that will come to my mind is Fletcher Cox.
1: Oh, yeah. I know you love him.
2: Because I, I, Fletcher Cox is one of those guys – I know I'm going with the 10 seconds, but now we're in the describer. I, Fletcher Cox is someone that well, – He's truly one of Philadelphia's greatest athletes of all time. And he's never – in, in 15, 20 years, he's never going to be on of Mount Rushmore. He's oh. just – it's – because they, th- that position doesn't get a lot of statistics. However, if he does end up going to the Hall of Fame, that could change. I but mean, I think he's – Fletcher a, Cox is incredible.
1: I mean, just knowing football – I mean, I know football, right? You know football. Guys like us who know football know Fletcher Cox is worthy of a hall of fame induction, um, you know, five, six years down the the road. I
2: think he's farther away. Like, I think he's as, he's almost as incredible physically as Reggie white. And I know that's crazy.
1: What was so, what was so crazy about Reggie is that he did play outside and and defensive end and Fletcher predominantly plays on the inside, but no, I get what you're saying. True. Um, Fletcher's been a beast since the moment he walked into the league out of Mississippi state and, um, you know, I, I'm, I, I agree. I think Fletcher Cox, if he, go, if he keeps on this path for five, six more seasons, um, oh, which yeah. is definitely doable, right? Was he like 30, 32, 33 years old at this point? No, even, not no, even that old, right? Not, they might even not not be 30. That. Yeah. Um, anyways, he's definitely got the shot, okay? Third question for you. Biggest Third question. Biggest fanboy moment of your media career so far. Who's the
2: one guy or girl that turns you geeky really, really quick? It was Brian Dawkins. That's the easiest question. Uh, I've told the story before. Um, I was a sports anchor in Louisville, Kentucky. The best team that I ever covered in football was this high school called Trinity. They were number one for like two or three years in a row. Had a lot of D1 athletes. Um, and one game I'm covering it, and I hear the announcer, and I got my, my camera, and I'm wearing my red wing breaker, and I hear the guy with the loudspeaker go, and in the far end zone. A man who had an interception, a fumble recovery, a punt return, and a sack. You're already running. The only man to do it. And I'm going, holy shit. That was Brian Dawkins against the Houston Texans at Veterans Stadium when the Eagles were favored by 21 points and they covered the fucking spread. And I was like, I remember that game. And I looked down and I made out Brian Dawkins and I sprinted a hundred yards. I went behind the Trinity football bench and I jumped over a dude. I spun around a Gatorade thing and I ran down there and I, I had to get my shot. I had to do my job. I got a video of him walking to the sideline and then I went over and I hugged him. And I think the first thing I said, I hugged him, and he didn't even know he was going to be hugged. And the first thing I said to him is I said, holy shit, Brian Dawkins, I'm the biggest Eagles fan. And he smiled and I said, and you're all of my passwords.
1: And he was (laughs) like,
2: he was like, cool. And I was like, yeah, man, like we're talking, a screen name was Doc for MVP. I was like, mind. And then I go, the first question I ask is, did you want to leave the Eagles when you went to Denver? And he got real serious. And he looked at me and he said, I never wanted to leave Philadelphia. And I was like, Oh, Savannah! <laughs> you know, I was like, I knew it. I knew you didn't want to leave, and I just, I was like, man. And that was, I'll, I'll never have a moment like that again. But nah. he would be the only one that would do it to me. No,
1: nah, that's, I mean, that's about as good as it gets. I mean, that's you already said. I mean, that's your favorite eagle of all time, right? Was
2: the cool, Samuel Jackson was the coolest man I ever. Met in my life, and I did fine. I feel like it's like I, I, that was what felt like it must be like to to climb a mountain. Yeah. You climb a mountain, you look out, and you go, all right, everything else is lower than this. So it won't be too hard. I've, I've been higher than that. I got so you. So, yeah, that perspective changes. Question
1: number four, favorite player. Oh, hold on, let me stand up. Oh, I yeah, stand back on, stand back I got, You, got comfortable. Okay, okay, you okay. got comfortable, you got comfortable. All right, all right you ready? Yeah. All right, favorite player in the NFL draft class, go. I know you're not a draft analyst, but – just give me a guy. What's a name you I'm keep going, hearing?
2: I'm, I'm going the, – well, the name that I would want on my team is Quentin Williams. Yeah? That's who I want. Like, I, I'm not playing any games. I'm not playing like Devin White at linebacker. I'm not playing Greedy Williams. I'm not going with the DK Metcalf and Paris Campbells. Or I would say that a close second is um, the the tight end at Iowa not named Noah Fant.
1: Uh, TJ Hawkinson.
2: I love Noah Fant. I think yeah. Noah Fan could be everything we want Trey Burton to be. Mm-hmm. But I look at Hawkinson and I go, ooh, but if he could be a baby Gronk, I yeah. do love me a baby Gronk because I do love uh, the dude on the Steelers. I do love uh, uh Vance Vince, McDonald. Vance McDonald. Oof. I do love Kittle. I love baby Gronks. Yeah. So I feel like he could be really tough and – and, you know, the, the San Francisco 49ers went out and got four running backs, Kevin Coleman, Derek McKinnon, Matt Breida, Mo, Roheem Mostert. And they're like, ooh, maybe they can play all four of them at the same time with Kittle. And I'm like, yo, man, if Kyle designs a four-running-back offense with Caroppolo, like, that's wild. Sign me up. Sounds great. I have no idea what it would look like or if it would be successful, but it sounds fun. I would love a team to go, like, four tight ends and a running back. And, it, and like the Eagles go like Zacherts, Dallas Goddard like another tight end you know what I mean and it's nah, for it's real. you you the like you show up the line and every every play you set up in a formation that you're not actually going in and it's so versatile and it's so multiple and it's like i don't know but they're they're also athletic enough to, to stretch them deep you know yeah. i don't know that's
1: what I want to see. My favorite draft or my favorite player in this draft class, and you can remember this name, Lefko, because no one's saying it right now. And it's Elgin Jenkins, the center out of Mississippi State. I'm telling you, he's gonna be a day two draft pick, Lefko, but in two years from now, everyone's gonna say, How in the hell did this all pro fall to the second day of the draft? Elgin Man. Jenkins. Center out of Mississippi State. I'm telling you, you like you like Jonathan Abram, the safety
2: from Mississippi
1: State. I do. I I think he's an absolute thumper, right? But the question, you know, I have with guys like him and guys like Keanu Neal, um, similar playing styles, right? Maybe not. What what was the term we've been hearing lately, Leftco? And I know you know it. Try to say with me, box safety, in the box right? Safety. Yeah, in the box safety. That's what we've been hearing over and over and over again. Jonathan Abram is that to me the problem here, Leftco? is if I'm, you know, forecasting, uh, you know, a first-round pick, he better be a dominant player for five to six years. My only question, when you're a banger like that, when you're a thumper at the safety position, can you stay healthy, man? Look at all the thumpers we have in the game today. Um, you know, of Earl course, Thomas, right? All those guys have problems um, I'm, staying here, healthy.
2: But here's the deal. I'm meet, I get to meet Jonathan Abram this week, okay. and I may just assign him to be um, the official uh, player of the Coast show on the draft. Yeah. And just be like, listen, like, because I, I really want to say to him, it's like, I have only watched your clips on YouTube. Well, that's all like, you really
1: need to know, bro, because when you
2: And, and, and I love an in the box safety. Yeah. And so everyone can hate on him. I feel like now's the time to scoop them up.
1: No, nah, here's like, here's my I, thing. When, when, when I watched Mississippi State film, I didn't even go there to watch Jonathan Abram, right? I went there to watch the Montez Sweats, the Jeffrey Simmons, right? And then all yeah, of a sudden... Please. All of a sudden, you're watching the film, and it's like this just flash. This maroon dart goes across the screen and just lays someone flat out, and you're like, who in the hell was that? And then you rewatch awesome. it, and it's like, it's Abram. It's it's him. Um, so, yeah, that's yes. what I've got on him. I'm but excited my, to meet him. No, you definitely should be. I, I bet he's an incredibly, um, you know, interesting personality. Anyone that hits that hard, in my experience, um, being a football player, is probably a pretty interesting dude with a pretty interesting background. So last question I've got for you, stand back up so you're nice and prepared. Yeah, I'm um, up, I'm up, I'm up. How long before you're hosting Good Morning America on Monday Night Football? Basically, the question is, Leftco, what's the next move, man? What's the goal? What's the end term right here for you?
2: Mm, definitely not the former.
1: no. Nah. You want to be around sports, that. right? You want to be on eh, sports.
2: No, I I would. Ooh, I don't know if it's invented yet. That's oh, okay. what I would answer to that. Ooh, I think that I think that um, those are those are classic structures. Mm-hmm. Like that's like both of those have been uh, on a network television for twenty to thirty years, and they've maintained consistency. Linear television. Yeah, and we assume that it's, it's always going to remain the same. Like, we assume that that's always going to be there. That Monday Night Football on an ESPN or an ABC, you know what I mean, will always be there. I mean, I don't, I don't know, bro. I just, there's, I just fact the fact that, like, if Google came forward and said, hey, uh, NFL, um, what if we gave you, like, I don't know, $3 billion for every game? for every game and like, you're like, you know, okay, fine. We'll give you five, we'll give you 5 billion. You know, like I just, I think that there's money in different uh, industries right now. I know that when television networks have to pay a ton of money to get rights, there's usually layoffs that come on after that. Like it's, it's not as fluid as the other places. And I, I also think we're in a digital world already. I don't, I don't think we're cutting cords. I think the cords are cut. Like I don't I don't think that the value system's there. Like I don't know how much a rating point is compared to, you know, all a the other accounts point in or analytics. Something like that. Yeah, like I I, I, I I don't know. I feel like we've already submerged. All right, so so that's I, think why, the,
1: I think the move, yeah. Leftco, is a holographic Leftco in my living room, right? Leftco in the living room is what we can call it. Leftco in the living room. I already got uh, rights to it. I call dibs. So when it actually happens, you got to give me a cut. How's that sound?
2: No, but that's not bad. Like, if Snapchat could have something where you can go live, dude, it's coming. They, it brought could, Tupac, could, it could they, they brought
1: Tupac. They brought Tupac back to life, bro. They had a full concert in California a couple of years ago through a hologram. It's gonna happen. You're gonna be in my living room one day, all six foot two of you. Yay, six foot two folks. Again, a little bigger than you think he is. The L E F K O E man. Um, yeah, it's gonna wait, be you well, in then, my living on, room,
2: then, bro. And you know what I'd say in the living room? What's up? I'd, I'd say, Brooks. I'd say you're doing a great job. Just don't ever call him Tupac again, dude. I was out. <laughs> I was definitely I was definitely
1: in the middle of talking to you, trying not to cut you off. I know it's Tupac, it good. trust me, brother. Good. Um, no, appreciate but what's been you, good? What's been good is you coming on here, brother. I really appreciate you joining us here, man. I know you don't have to do these things for us, little folks out here, but I really appreciate it, bro. Even though man, I call Tupac ain't no, Tupac, ain't no
2: big folks, ain't no little folks, just a bunch of old folks
1: chilling. Nah, I feel you, brother. I appreciate it, man. Thanks right, for brother. stopping by